Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are excited to be here today. I am excited to share with you this beloved parable that we're excited about to read. So before I get started, I wanted to show a few of my resources teacher-esque of me that I that really informed what I'm talking about today. So the three books I have is The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. Um, great book, really dives really deep into this parable and why it is so important for us to see ourselves in both the sons. The next one, I feel like I've, I've mentioned this book every time I've preached, The Deeply Formed Life, just about how your life is formed by what's around you, which we see in this, in this parable as well. And the last one is called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Um, this is more of a secular book, I would say, but it's still so important to know about what it looks like to be committed to what you're doing. So these are some books. Um, I can talk about them forever. So you want you want to borrow? Please, please come borrow. So with that, um, let's get started. Okay, so a newspaper sent out this question to some prolific authors. What is wrong with the world? And the Catholic theologian J.K. Ch- G. K. Chesterton responded, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. He knew what was wrong with the world. He was a faithful follower of Jesus, but he realized that at the core of our issues, it's being human. That the human experience is what causes a lot of strife in our world. And you can't be on this earth and not experience some heartache or some triumph with being with people. And we are constantly being lost and found. We are constantly in the state of being far and then being near again, right? This is the idea that I think Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable. And I really like this passage, but I think a better title for this passage, like Timothy Keller said, is The Lost Sons. Because it's more about all the characters in the story than just one prodigal son, right? We see that there are three active characters in this story. And so we, I just want us to be really intentional about how we engage with this text because often we forget that there are two sons. We often forget that there's a father. We often forget that they're interacting with each other. They're not just some um, observation, but there's actually dialogue that happens here. Um, so in this whole chapter 15, we see three different parables. We see that Jesus specifically is talking. He has surrounded himself with tax collectors and sinners who are, like, to be frank, very not cool. Like, they're not, like, who anyone would want to sit with. Like, it's just the reality of the day. They were as far away from being part of Jesus' followers as possible. Like, they were not who you would think would want to be listening to this message because they didn't really follow the rules anyways. And so you're hearing Jesus engage with them and the Pharisees and the rule followers are like, what's happening? Like, why, why is this, this man attracting these people that have never wanted to associate with us before and we never wanted to associate with? So we see that's who Jesus is talking to. We also see um, the three parables have a consistent theme, right? Lost and found. And we see that it gets a lot more specific. It goes from 100, the sheep, 
he'll go out and find the one. The lost coin, she lost one, found the one. And then we get to the parable of the lost sons, which is one father and two sons. So we see how Jesus is trying to do something very genius and get to the heart of the issue of what it means to be found and how one can get lost as well. I also want to be very intentional as well that we should not villainize the Pharisees because in generality, they are just asking questions because they lived a singular life with a singular focus and it is now being challenged and it never had before. And so I think the idea that these Pharisees are negative or bad, I mean, I make jokes about Pharisees all the time, so I get it. Um, But they are really just wanting to understand why, like what is happening? They're confused, they're dismissive. They're like, I need, they wanna understand. Um, And I think that's why Jesus is telling these stories of the lost versus found. So before we go into deep dive into the text, I think the biggest thing that we need to see is the fact that this story is more about the fathers than I would say the sons. This, This story is about how the father engages with his sons in very specific and intentional ways and how the father is someone that we can trust and is consistent. And so as we dive into this text, we want to be intentional to not villainize the Pharisees because they're just asking questions and to try and see how you see the father in this text. I think that's really important because I think oftentimes throughout our lives, we will probably see ourselves in both camps. We will probably see ourselves sometimes in the younger son and then sometimes in the older son as well. I don't think it's a linear thing where it's just like once and done, but it's actually the, the human experience to go through all of these, to, to, to be far from God, to be near from God, to be questioning God. These are all just the reality and what it is to be a follower of Jesus and to be a, and to be a believer and to mostly be human. So let's do a little quick deep dive in the text and then we'll talk about the characters a little bit more. So verse 11, and he's, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Immediately this parable is so different from the other two because immediately Jesus is telling us about three characters, specifically a man with two sons. So we know that immediately that we should really be focusing on these characters. So then we meet the younger son who makes probably one of the most, (laughs) basically he told his father that I hope you die. That's basically what he's saying in this section of scripture. What he's asking, give me your share of the property. We're like, okay, yeah, right? Like no big deal. But the, 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 the idea is that back then all the money was in land, right? Like all the money they had was in the land that they owned. And so this son was telling the father, I need you to sell your land to give me the money. The land that has been in your family for generations, I want my money. I, that it's just insane. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would say. A lot of commentaries, I listen to a ton of people. Basically, like, this would never happen in the Near East. Like, that, that is something that they, when these people have heard this story, is like, that would never happen. Like, that son would be cut off. The son would be thrown in jail. The son would 
The younger son would not be welcomed in the family if he asked for this. It was like a recipe for disaster. And then, so the father did the unthinkable and said, okay, I'm going to give you your share of the property, which if we look, it's going to be about a third of the property. Um, if we look at Deuteronomy and all of that um, sharing of, of property for um, their, the sons and the family. So then he takes a long journey away from his family into a far country. He squanders all the property, squanders all the money. He spent everything. A severe famine happened and he began to be in need and he hired himself out to feed the pigs. And this is where I wanna pause. So one, as you can see, everything's getting progressively worse for this son, okay? That's also a literary advice for Jesus telling these people to say, his life is getting progressively worse. And then we get to this section, which I think if I was a Pharisee hearing this would be a drastic revelation to them because pigs were unclean to Jews. Like you don't touch, you don't play, we don't hang out, we don't have them as animals, like we don't have them at, at all, anywhere around us. They are the most unclean thing that you could possibly touch as a Jewish person. And so this person, this son, going and feeding with the pigs, wanting to eat what the pigs have, it is like he basically cut himself off from his Jewish heritage. He was like, I am, I am deciding and I am in a position where I feel no longer attached to that part of my life and we are here. And then he comes to his senses and he goes, wow, my father's servants are taken care of. I should go back. And if anything happens, at least, at least I can be fed. At least I can be a hired servant. And this is, this is him understanding that he no longer relates to his Jewish, like he's not even assuming or thinking that he can engage with that side of him anymore. And he goes, he arises and he goes, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Then we meet the father. We meet the father for the second time, okay? He arose and came to his father, but why he was still a long way off, okay? Like a long way off. We don't have like ring cameras. We can't like see what's going on. Like this is like a literary also device because it's, it's the idea that, he heard his son was coming in. He wasn't even in the compound yet. And the father felt compassion and he ran out to meet him. This idea that the father heard his son coming and was like, I will go to you where you're at, son, and welcome you back into the family. And he celebrated, instant celebration, instant um felt compassion, embraced him, kissed him. And, and I, we will learn more about this after the message, but the idea that he was dirty. He had just been with pigs. He had not showered, most likely. He was very poor. And the father, in his riches and his robe, decided to embrace his son in all of that filth. And wanting to even touch the pigs that he was touching. He was like, son, I am so excited you're back. And they celebrated and they were so excited, put the robe, put a ring, which means completion. The fattened calf is like the most celebratory thing that you could possibly do for a person. And then the father says, for this, for this my son was dead and is alive again. 
he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This lost and found metaphor is found all throughout all three of these parables as well. And lost here means death. The son was dead. But then he said he is alive again, means he's resurrected. He has come back to his place of rightness with the father. That's that's what this looks like. Then we meet the next son, the the elder son. Okay, so the older son was in the field. He came near to the house. And I can just imagine he's, he's walking up to the house and he's hearing the music. He's smelling the food and he is angry. He gets very angry at this. And he asked the servant, what's happening? And even the servant was like, your brother came back. He was lost and found. We are celebrating. Your, your father said to celebrate. And you can see that the servants are kind of fine with, not fine with it, but they're, they're, they're understanding what this means, right? They, they trust that the father knows what he's doing. But then verse 28 is so specific. So he was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. I really, pause, I chose the ESV version, which is very like not missio because I really like the word entreated. I know, I just literally one word, I changed the entire (laughs) um, translation. Okay, anyway, so um, entreated, right? Meaning he begged him. This elder son really has nothing without the father. But this father came out to him again. So we see this theme of of the father coming out to meeting now both sons. So he's meeting the elder son and he's begging him, please come in. Please come in and celebrate with us. I want you at this party. I want you to experience the celebration that we're feeling of your brother being lost and then now found. But he answered, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came and devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He he can't even, this, this elder son is so angry and hardened by the fact that this, his father would want to celebrate someone who's had, who's returned, that he's like, He is stuck in his anger. But then the father said again, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. This party is also for you, older son. This party is not just for my younger son. It is for us because we are a family. All that I am is yours. This fattened calf, sure, I'm celebrating it for the younger son, but it is yours as well. You get to celebrate in the welcoming back of your brother. And then it ends. We don't know what the elder son's response to Jesus was. We don't know where this story goes, but we do know is that if we look at this story, we see that Jesus is trying to engage the Pharisees with compassion at the beginning and then confronting their hardened hearts at the end. He's trying to bring them in with compassion. Don't you want people to understand the goodness of God? Pharisees, don't you want to know how, it, how good it is to be loved by the Father? But yet you're so in your head, you're so prideful that you can't even celebrate 
what is yours to celebrate. I want you to, I want you at this party. And they're like, no, I don't want to be at that party. I want my own party. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, just, what are you doing anyways? Um, so thanks for being with me with that. So the next section that we're talking about is the character development. So there are three characters, right? We are going to dissect and look at how we can find ourselves in both of the sons. I think we often have a difficult time um, seeing ourselves in the elder son, to be honest. I think that we often see that as like, that's a, a bad response or a negative response in the, the, the younger son's bad lifestyle, but response is good. But I, I would say that it's neither good or bad. It's just the humanness of the sons that they are both fully welcomed into the beloved house of God. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter where you land, but God still comes out and meets you. The younger son was very much into self-discovery. He wanted to find himself away from the family without the father. I, I'm sure so many of you can relate to that. If your family unit is very one way, you're like, I want to find myself. The younger son was doing that. He wanted to do the self-discovery without the father. And he was lost in the world because of it. These are all the things that you see of the younger son. And I find myself in all of those. Interpreters have correctly pointed out that the younger son is practically telling his father, I can't wait for you to die. His father's very existence is an obstacle to his goals. If, if that is what the, the younger son is, is telling the father. Then we meet the older son. Moral conformity, as Tim Keller would say. He wanted to find himself by following the father's path because it was going to give him something that he wanted. He was using the father to be far from the father. He was using all the rules in place in hopes that whatever the father's good things are, he could receive not because he loved the father or wanted anything to do with the father, but because he knew that if he did these things that he would get the money, the wealth, the property, but not actually because he thought it was a good decision. He was conforming to the morals around him. He was conforming to this world that maybe isn't the best for us. And he, the elder son, was lost in his pride. He thought that one way was the best way. And if he could be nothing like the younger son, everything opposite of what he saw his younger brother doing, we risk turning our obedience and faithfulness into something derived not from love, but from obligation into the sort of slavery in which there is no delight. The elder, the elder son, he was lacking in his ability to see joy because he was so focused and so full of pride. And this is all I want is to get what the father has, the things of the father not the father himself. Then we meet the father, the gracious, loving, meeting you where you are, father of this story. 
The father wants both of his sons at this party. He wants both the younger son in his self-discovery, selfish motivation, and the older son with his pride, lostness, heart and heart at this party because he knows what that feels like. He, he wants them to experience this love and celebration, this joy that he wants to give to his sons. So we see that the, that the father lavishes both of his sons. All that I am is mine. I gave you my property. You are welcomed back. The robe is yours. The ring is yours. Everything is yours. He goes out to both sons, right? Not just the younger son. He goes out to the elder son as well and begs him, right? Like we see the, the heart of the father so clearly in both of his interactions with the sons, And he shows how much circumstance does not determine his love for the sons. That his love is the same no matter the situation that is arising. No matter the son's response to the father. His love is so consistent. The story of the prodigal son reminds the reader that some people forsake their spiritual formation for immediate gratification. God does not focus on why or how the person becomes lost. God rejoices and celebrates the individual's homecoming. Through all three examples, Jesus provides an analogy of a God who does whatever it takes to reconcile humanity to God's self. This whole story, this whole chapter is all about humans being lost and being found again. No matter the position of your life. You were dead and now you are alive. What is more to be celebrated than a life? And then the story just ends. It just like stops. And you're like, what, what, what is the response? What is the response that the Pharisees and, and these sinners have to this? Well, we know throughout the rest of Luke that the sinners and the taxes are enthralled by these stories. They are, they are following him by droves. And then we see after this that the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the rule followers and the lawmakers, they just get more hardened. And I think that's what's so interesting about this story is we see that Jesus is not wanting that. I think that's the reason he leaves this parable so open-ended because he wants the Pharisees to have an option to respond He wants the Pharisees to see themselves as people that are not willing to celebrate someone that is alive again. And we we see that. We see that happening. And God's response and engagement with both of the sons reminds me of Ezekiel when God is talking to the dry bones, the prophet, and how he says dry bones come to life. He breathes into them. And I often think, what would that look like for us if we are one of the sons? What would it look like for God to breathe into us new life if we are feeling a little little dead inside? That's a drastic word. But that God has this theme throughout scripture of how he wants to breathe life into you Because that's the God that he is. He's constantly wanting to resurrect our lives. 
So how do we engage with God hearing this? So I just told you about this beautiful story and the sons and the father and from an outside perspective that we should be engaging with God and seeing God more so in the story. Well, how does that relate to us? Like, how do we as humans engage with this story that is not being told maybe directly to this demographic of people? Well, I feel like there's a few things. I think the, the, the major things, though, are is the fact that God is willing and wanting to lavish his love on us. That his love is open for all of us to see, and he is so excited and willing to be here with you. It's the return of the younger son, not the confession, that makes this possible. It's not the younger son's, I have sinned, and no, it's the fact that he rose and came and was present with the father that makes it such a beautiful story. It's not any of the words that he's saying. I think it's a beautiful um, picture because of the wholeness that Christ gives us as believers. And if you're not a believer as well, like the, the lavish love of Christ is welcome to all humans. And it's an amazing experience to, to know that you are loved in any season of life. That the consistency of God's love and the lavishness of it does not stop no matter where you are on this journey of life. God is so faithful even when we are not. And I think that's what this story is telling us. Wow, how cool that no matter the situation that God is faithful, God wants us to be him-centered, not we-centered. He wants us to focus on him and realize that he is who we are engaging with. He is who we are getting our love from. And I think that's one of the most amazing things that he wants. He wants all of us, no matter our status, to be at this party and celebrating what it looks like to feel loved. So I feel like this story is calling us to a few specific things when it comes to engaging with God. The first thing I think is the idea of returning. What does it look like to confess and return to this God who loves you? We see that in, 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 the, in the younger son. I was going to say elder, but he does not do that. So um, the, the younger son, this idea of confession and return. I feel like uh, the modern Christian church has, has not really modeled confession as well as maybe the Catholic church stream of like having this weird person in, behind a wall. But confession is a powerful way of admitting that we're broken and that we are the problem. I know, brutal, right? <laughs> we, we, we have brokenness. And the idea that we are going to arise and come to God is, is what all God wants for us. He does not want anything to be fixed. He does not want anything to be perfect. He wants all of your brokenness that you're willing to, to bring to him for him to just love you as it is. And the next thing is community, right? We see that it's not just the father and the son celebrating, but it's the whole town celebrating his return. It's the envelopment in community that I think is so beautiful in this picture. The father is not just celebrating the son. No, he's like, everyone come and celebrate with me because I know that my son deserves to be celebrated. And we are excited that he is back. 
Not just an I am excited. We are excited. And the fattened calf signifies this very, very clearly, that he is like willing to go to the ends of, ends of the road, the Father, to welcome us back into this community of, of believers. And it's such a, a stunning picture of what community should look like. I am a GC leader here, and I have never felt more seen or safe than in a community of believers that are willing to pray for me every week. Right? I think it's such a, the GCs here are such a beautiful way of bringing your full self in all of the baggage that comes along with it in a way to have that community show healing and for you to feel seen. I think oftentimes us as believers are, are showing God's love to everyone around us. I believe God is working even when we're not. I believe God is working even before they claim God. Because I I think that's how big God is, that he is working at the grocery store. He's working at the festival. He is working at Lollapalooza, keeping people safe, even before they realize that, before they even realize that God is who he says he is. And I think that's this story. God was ready and waiting. He was ready to engage with the sons, wherever they were. Um, I'm gonna invite Emily up and I'm gonna close us in prayer. Um, Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that your love is what transforms us. We are so grateful that it is not us that does any of the transforming, but it's you. So as we are sitting here and ready to experience your love and transformation, would you meet us? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.